This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we journey back into the story of Iliatzer finding Rivka as a wife for Isaac. What is happening at dinner that evening? Why is Levon acting with such authority if the father, Betuel, is alive and well? Yeah, so we're going to jump kind of back in the story. We In our last episode, we talked all about like the binding of Isaac and the story of Isaac in relation to Abraham and, and all that stuff. We talked about Abraham going and getting a wife for Isaac in the midst of his... We, we glossed right over that story. So now I want to go back and look at some midrash that I have found and learned from. As we as we look at this story, what do we what do we find here? As we we, we dive a little bit deeper into that. So, uh, Brent, there's a whole. This is like a really long chapter. It's like one of the longest chapters I think in the Bible. If not the longest, but it's one of one of the longest. Bunch of verses in here. Big long story. We we probably don't have to read the whole thing, and yet I kind of want to just so we're set in context. Um, it's one of those chapters where you read the story and then Eliezer, like when he goes when the servant goes to talk to Levon and and the family, he like retells the story, which is one of those situations where you're like, why didn't you just say, and Eliezer told them all that had happened. Like it feels like you could just say that, and there are some key differences. Not key differences. There are differences between the way Eliezer tells the story. So I'm always like, I'm always aware of that. If the text takes the time to not say, and Eliezer told them what had happened, but instead actually records Eliezer telling the story, I'm always assuming that there's something in there. Now, I've got nothing for you today. I haven't found some big profound takeaways from that, but I just say that up front because it's a weird chapter. It's really long. It feels like it's more repetitive than it needs to be. And I haven't found a chiasm. I don't know. There could be one. Who knows? But Brent, uh, we're going to go to Genesis 24. I'm going to interrupt you more and more as we get closer to the end of the story. But if you want to add any questions and commentary towards the beginning of the story, feel free. And you know me. I'm probably going to interrupt you all the time anyway. So (laughs) feel free to go and get started. Well, before I even start, I'm going to interrupt uh, myself and say that it is the eighth longest chapter in the Bible by word count. There you go, Brent Billings. Brent Billings for everybody. Uh, that is that's that is what he does right there. I love that. Yeah, always fact-checking <laughs> as much as I can. Uh, so let's get into some actual text, huh? Avraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said, now that's a question right there, in every way, Sure. considering what we learned about the situation as it stands at that moment. Absolutely. I definitely have some questions there, um, but I'll just, I'll just leave that to ponder. Uh, he said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Which again, going back to our last conversation makes, now when you read it, you're like, oh goodness, like, yeah. Elliot's just like, hey, just in case she's not interested in coming back to a, a house and a land where the husband is not, should I do something else? Go ahead. And I suppose, like, at at that point, Abraham's just responsible for her well-being, right? right? So it's not like she's going to be not taken care of. She's just not going to be um, fulfilling the purpose that she 
thought she was, you know, coming there for. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Anyway. So what if she's unwilling to come back? And his reply, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Avraham said, the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Avraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Uh, a footnote on Aram Naharim, apparently that means northwest Mesopotamia. Uh, I really should be looking at a map for this whole situation because uh, I, I feel like it would help me out. I might try to dig one up and throw it in the show notes if I can find something that kind of shows the... I might throw it in the last episode too, but to see like where where the servant's traveling to, where Avram is hanging out, where Isaac is coming from. Again, ladies and gentlemen, Brent Billings. There you go. Yeah, well, don't give me any credit until you see it in the show notes, but I'll, I'm going to look for something. <laughs> Uh, so let me go back just a little bit. Then the servant left, taking with him 10 of his master's camels loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. All right. So we should probably stop ourselves right there and note 10 camels. Does that sound like a lot of camels to you, Brent? I mean, I, considering I have zero camels, yes, it does sound like <laughs> quite a bit. In this case, it's a good assumption. That's he is He is headed to this land with plenty of goods in tow. He's got a nice little, he's got a nice little um, uh, array of gifts here. So, all right, that's going to be relevant. Go ahead. A caravan of camels, perhaps. Yes. yes. Five camels per hand, which seems like too many camels to handle. Absolutely. Okay. So he set out for Aram Naharim, uh, which footnote says is northwest Mesopotamia, and I might try to find a map um, and throw it in the show notes. Because especially after last episode, and I should probably put it in the show notes for that episode too, uh, I feel like it would be really helpful to see like where the servant is going, where Isaac is coming from, where Abraham is waiting for all this to happen. Uh, so if I can find something, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, so the servant set out for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May, may it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant, Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Which I love that. That's one of my favorite verses. Before he had even, before he had even finished praying, God's like, one step ahead of you. Just uh, be quiet, shut up, and, and do your thing. Boom. Got it. Before he had finished praying, Rivka came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Betuel, son of Milka, who was the wife of Avraham's brother Nahor. The woman was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever slept with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. Now, Brent, did you ever check? Did we do an episode on this story? 
We covered this in session one, right? Uh, I mean, I'm sure we did it to some... I vaguely remember... I should have listened back to all these episodes and have a little more context. I, I feel like we went through the first part of it, and then we kind of skipped over his retelling. Right. But we went over the fact that what she's doing is so radically hospitable, right? We pointed that oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what he's what he's requesting, just to remind ourselves now years later. He He's asking God to provide somebody who, if I'm going to find a wife for my master that's going to fit in this family, she's going to have to be radically committed to hospitality or she ain't the right one. And so his request is crazy. It's absolutely, he's asking for somebody to come out and be willing to make a hundred trips to water this massive caravan that we just talked about, full of gifts, like this is, and yet before he even finished praying, God's like, look up, got it, boom. I believe this would have been episode 12, A Mission Realized. Yeah, great, okay. Which I'll throw in the show notes. Okay. Okay, so moving on. So she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, and the, until they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without uh, saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. <laughs> Is she going to water every last camel? Because if she doesn't, I'll know that the Lord... <laughs> So crazy. And and we I think our estimate was something like probably a hundred trips down into the well to to get enough water. I was told at least it's going to take ten trips to like if those camels are now if they're not totally thirsty, if they're not needing to be completely watered after that journey, it, it could have been less, for sure. We don't know for a fact. But if those are if the assumption is they've just gotten done with the journey, those are thirsty camels, I was told at the very least, 10 trips into the cistern per camel. 10 camels, that's 100 trips, probably closer to 200, is what I was told over in Israel. And the camel being, um, you know, a, a wild animal, more or less, I mean, domesticated of sorts, but the camel is going to drink until it's full, and then it's going to stop. Correct. It's not going to, you know, that's just its instinct. Right. Just as, like, we have an instinct to drink when we're thirsty, the camel doesn't really have any control over that so if the camel's had enough to drink it's going to walk away or whatever he's going to know when the camels have had enough yep and he's watching to see if she just continues until they all stop absolutely yep when the camels had finished drinking the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels all right which that's relevant um Particularly because episodes ago, Brent, when we were talking all the way back with Jacob, what did the Midrash point out that Jacob did not have when he came to meet Rachel? This is later in the story, so we're bouncing around, but he... He didn't have anything to give her. He didn't have any... And particularly in the Midrash, it mentions what? Uh, bracelets, I'm guessing. <laughs> exactly. We Foreman mentioned it in his book. The Midrash specifically mentions bracelets, which this is the story preceding. This would have been his mother, like Jacob's mother, Rivka. So he... He knows when he gets to whose house? Whose house are we going to be going to here? Uh, Levon. Levon. And right now, Levon is the son of Betuel. Later in the story, when it's Jacob, Levon's going to now be the patriarch. But this is the same home. Like, this is a re—when Jacob gets back here later in history, this is going to be a repeat. Because Eliezer, when he came to get his mother, had all kinds of bracelets, and Jacob's going to end up with— no bracelets. So this is, again, a relevant mention that's going to be connected to the Midrash. But go ahead. Mm. 
I love it. I love it. Um, then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Betuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. All right, so now she's picked up. She probably had a hunch. Like, I wonder if she says, I'm the daughter of Betuel. Special mention made to the women of the family when she talks. Uh, and and now he says, so now she knows, like, oh, this is our, these are our relatives from the line of Terah. And okay, great. So what is her response here? Go ahead. The young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Well, that's interesting. Uh, now Rivka had a brother named Levon, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and had heard Rivka tell what the man said to her. Okay, so what is it that sparks Levon's reaction, Brent? When he sees the, the ring and the bracelets. Which we were told were hefty rings and bracelets. They weighed some. They were worth some money. He sees that, and it seems to motivate him. Now, Levon is who? Is Levon the father, Brent? No. Who's the father? She, she said, uh, She said, I am the daughter of Betuel, okay. the son that Milka bore to Nahor. Now, who's the one that's going to be responsible for Rivka? That would be Betuel. Betuel, the father. And yet Levon sees, and he runs out. That's interesting. He sees the gold rings, and he runs out. The Midrash points out like, oh, Levon's taking a weird role here. This feels like it should be Betuel's job. And yet Levon seems to cut her off. And take off before. Maybe that's something. Maybe it's not. Go ahead. I mean, it's definitely a, uh, you know, taking a position that you don't technically hold, um, similar to what we see with Jacob and Esau and, you know, a few other stories in this area. And he could be doing it on behalf of the father. And yet the passage seems to make special mention of the bracelets again. Like the author seems to be like, he saw the bracelets and the gold nose ring and he was like, ah, I'm going to go right now. Okay. Yeah. And it explicitly says as soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on the sister's arm Uh and had heard Rivka tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. So they, they haven't even like gathered all their things together and have left the spring. Like they're still over there. Right. Yep. He's, he's going out right away. Uh, come you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Okay. Now what does that feel like to you, Brent? What? So what is, what is your feeling as you read this last paragraph or so? I don't want to give away what I'm trying to prompt, but what are your feelings as you're reading this story? What is it that stands out to you about about how what is happening and how it's happening? Um, well, it seems like he's awfully excited. Exactly. And and who in particular is excited? Uh, Eliezer, the servant. Okay, who else seems to be excited? I mean, Levon is excited, I guess. Because it seems like Eliezer is trying to put the brakes on. Like, this is happening so quickly that Eliezer is like, hold on a second. Like... Levon runs out, grabs him, like, what are you waiting for? Come on, I've got everything ready. Gets him into the house, gets everything ready. Here's some food. Let's sit down and eat. And Eliezer's like, whoa. Like, hey, I'm not going to eat any food until I, like, you, we need to, you need to hear me out before we even get started here. Like, it seems like things are moving really, really quickly here. 
Midrash is going to say that Levon's trying to move quick because Levon knows that his dad is going to try to stall. So what Levon is trying to do is Levon is trying to get this over with and, eh, well, let's fill in some more blanks a little bit later. But Levon's moving quick. He wants to get this thing. Boom, let's go. Let's get done. And, uh, and, and it's not going to work out that way for him. Go ahead. I guess I was looking at it from the other way, you know, like – Whoa, 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 we can't eat. Like, how can you think of food at a time like this? I got to tell you this crazy story that just happened. Like, sure, blah, blah, blah. sure, right, yep. But yeah, I mean, Levon is definitely pushing things too. Yep. Uh, yeah, so uh, then the food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Levon said. So he said, I am Avraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, What if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, The Lord, before whom I have walked faithfully, will send his angel with you and make your journey a success, so that you can get a wife for my son with my own clan and from my father's family. You will be released from my oath if, when you go to my clan, they refuse to give her to you. Then you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, Lord, God of my master Avraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. See, I am standing beside the spring. If a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rivka came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Betuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Avraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so I may know which way to turn. Levon and Betuel answered, this is from the Lord. Okay, who answered? Who answered? Levon and Betuel. Okay, so now who's entered the scene? Well, Betuel's here, but uh, Levon is listed first still, which I think is perhaps significant. I would imagine so. Like I don't know for a fact, but it's a great point. But certainly, we've now taken long enough to tell the story that Betuel has arrived. He's here for the family dinner. Midrash tells us that Levon's Levon was trying to get in there so that he could get. He knows his dad's going to stall because his dad's going to want to get his dad. According to the Midrash, according to the Midrash, I could be wrong. It's not in the biblical text. According to the Midrash, Betuel is going to try to be milking this situation for more and more gifts. He's going to try to get wealth out of wealth. And so Levon's trying to keep his dad from getting in here and trying to screw this situation up. Now, you might think to yourself, oh, Levon's a good guy. He's trying to keep his dad from, but the Midrash says, no, Levon wanted his wanted the same thing for himself. He's trying to, and you know who Levon is later in the story. He's the guy that is sneaky, sneaky, gets deception for deception on Jacob. 
Like Levon's far from, if you know your biblical text, this person who's full of benevolence, but there's this war between father and son about who's going to be able to get this situation, get this servant, get Avraham's family for more and more wealth for themselves. So that's what the Midrash says is the backstory going on here. But now Betuel's in the picture. Okay. Levon and Betuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rivka. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. When Avraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rivka. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Okay. So he gives articles of clothing and jewelry to who? Uh, to Rivka. To Rivka. And to her brother and to her mother. And who's not mentioned? The dad. The dad. Midrash says he died during dinner. Like his greed was so great, his sneaky conniving, uh, his name, what does his name mean, Brent? If you look up Betuel in uh, the lexicon you got in front of you, what does Betuel mean? Uh, it means God destroys or man of God or dweller in God, which seems like a little bit. <laughs> yeah, can go all kinds of different directions, right? And the Midrash pulls on that first meaning, which was, what was the very first one you said? God destroys. God destroys. And it says, ah, God destroyed him that night. The reason that he's at dinner, the reason that Levon's trying to get in front of his dad is because he knows his dad is so greedy, he's going to try to get stuff out of this situation. And in fact, he is so greedy that God actually demands his life before the dinner is even done. He dies during dinner. Uh, Betuel passes away. And then so that when it comes, by the time dinner is over, at the end of dinner, which I'm sure was a mood killer, but by the end of dinner, the only people there to receive gifts are Levon. And and yet the Midrash points out, who does he – talk about those gifts there. What do you notice about those gifts? It's interesting. He gives the jewelry and the articles of clothing. Go ahead. To, to Rivka. Uh, gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing to Rivka. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Do you have any footnotes on costly gifts? Um, not in the NIV. Uh, let's see. Does the NET help us out here at all? Ooh. Um, no. No. The Midrash specifies that that's fruit. The Midrash says what he gives to the mother and brothers is fruit. Now, if you didn't read costly gifts, but you read instead fruit, uh, Brent, how now how do you feel about the gift giving? Uh, it seems a little off balance, I guess. He definitely is making sure that somebody gets the wealth, and the other people get the nice obligatory thank you. At some point, Eliezer's picked up on what's going on here, and he makes sure, the Midrash says anyway, the Midrash says he makes sure he doesn't give the gifts to the family because he knows if he gives them to the family, who's never going to see them? Uh, his his own, uh, well, I guess his master, Isaac and, and Rivka. Rivka in particular. If he gives the, the, the gold, the costly jewelry, the fine clothing to the family— the Midrash is trying to point out that family has taken those things. Rivka's never going to see it. And who is he going to have to convince by the time this story is over? Who's the one that he's got to convince? Because if you think about it in terms of like a wedding gift, like the, the price of um, uh, what's the name of a wedding gift that I'm trying to think of right now? Uh, a dowry. If you think in terms of a dowry, 
that's supposed to go to the family. Yeah, I guess that's what I was thinking um, when when we were talking about this. I, I guess that's what I was looking for. Right. And yet in this case, he's not engaging in the work of dowry because who he really needs to convince is the one that's committed to radical hospitality. Remember, what was his question to Avraham when he sent him away? What if... What if she doesn't want to come back? What if she doesn't want to come back? Because you're asking her to do something like the family. They can take the dowry and Rivka if she's not in on this. That So there's there's a really interesting, so fantastic little ditty there. Go ahead and keep reading or ask some more questions, Brent, whatever, you, whatever your pleasure is. Yeah, I guess, I, I mean, maybe because they're family, like they're close family, that he doesn't feel like he needs to give as much. Because there's already like some sort of established relationship there, uh, maybe or or the midrash. In my opinion, as I'm reading it, as I and I du- I dug into this midrash maybe a little bit more than I have on the other past midrash. I, I feel like the midrash is implying that El- Eliezer has some wisdom and discernment he is employing here, and he realizes that he's going to get taken to the cleaners, and this family's in it for all the wrong reasons, and I'm here for Rivka. And so I'm not because what's going to happen next, Brent, in the story? What's uh, let's actually finish reading out your passage here so that we can talk about the rest of the verses that come later. Yeah. Um, so when they got up the next morning, he said, "Or, or did I finish that last part?" Um, he gave the costly gifts to, he gave the stuff to Rivka, gave costly gifts to the brother and mother. Uh, then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, "Send me on my way to my master." But her brother and her mother replied, let the young woman remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rivka and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. And that's and that's your climactic moment right there. So... When you when you hear the midrash, why are the why is the family stalling according to the midrash? Why is the family like no no no? You should stay some more. Like, why do you suppose they're trying to get her to stay? It's not because they don't want to. Oh, we we're gonna miss our daughter so much. Like that's not their concern in that ancient world. What what do you suppose the midrash is suggesting, Brent? I guess they're trying to get a hold of some of that gold and silver and fancy clothes. Absolutely. And and Elliot's just like, hey, it's time for us to hit the road here. It's time for us to be gone. And then they're like, well, I don't, she's never going to want to go with. I think the, in my opinion, some of the implication is, I don't know if she's going to want to go with. But what has Eliezer done in his wisdom? Not to make this about money and gifts and that kind of thing. But Eliezer has spent his time looking for the right person, investing in the right person, and finding the right person. And she says, and this isn't just because of some gold bracelets, folks. This is because of somebody that says, I've heard of what God's up to with this family. I'm the type of, she's already demonstrated a person of radical hospitality. She's demonstrated the opposite of greed. Eliezer has invested in the right, not the quantity, but the right quality of person here. And and that's where the story is headed. Yeah. I mean, she didn't know anything about who he was, where he was coming from, why he was there when she, you know, showed that hospitality. Right. Yep. So, so I guess maybe my question is if she like once she receives those gifts from Iliatzer, if she decides not to go, then she just keeps it. And so if the family can convince her to stay, then they get to keep it. 
as part of the family or whatever? Well, they'd be with her. So if she stays at home and it's her gifts, then it would be a part in that patriarchal system. It's a part of that Badoff. It's a part of that larger household. If she goes with, then that comes with her as a part of the gifts that she's been given in this whole exchange. Um, and I'm not sure from a historical perspective how those variables operate. That's what the Midrash is insinuating. Again, it's Midrash. It's not directly in the text. It's not inspired or authoritative in the same way. But the Midrash seems to be implying here. Eliezer was well aware of how the family was trying to game the system, you might say. And he was not going to have any of it. He was here for a person committed to hospitality. He was here for, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think one of the reasons I wanted to go over Jacob and that story before was because if we hadn't done it before, when you get to here, you're like, no, 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 no. I know who Rivka is. She's the one that wants to deceive Isaac and trick him out of all that stuff. And so I wanted to go over the Jacob story to show that Rivka's not a deceiver. She's not committed to tricking her husband. She is somebody who's deeply committed to love, compassion. She's trying to love her son, Jacob. So so knowing who she is here helps give background as well to this story. She's committed to something different, something that God is up to in the world to bless others. She's in on that. And she doesn't even know if her husband's going to be there when she gets there. But if this is what God's doing in the world, I'm in. And it has very little to do. Her family was concerned with gold bracelets wealth, costly gifts. But what she's worried about is something else. And that's where the investment is made. Yeah. And I almost wonder if, if, uh, Eliezer has some sort of sense or maybe saw in the distance, like Rivka and Levon interacting and, and he could tell like, Oh, Levon got really interested once he saw the bracelets. Yeah. Right. And, and then he came running to me. Like, I, I wonder, right. I mean, obviously that's not in the text either, but I just wonder, you know, it, it does seem like Eliezer is pretty wise to the whole situation for sure. So, yep, absolutely. And I love this story, Brent, because of how it ties back into, this is the story that I believe Jesus is remezzing when his family comes looking for him. If you remember his family comes looking for him, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, your family's outside. Your mother and your brothers are here. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Which is such an interesting reference because there's only one spot in all of Scripture where the reference is particularly about mother and brothers because the dad is gone. But there's only one story where you find mother and brothers, mother and brothers, specifically mother and brothers. And what does Jesus say? Who are my mother and brothers? He doesn't say, who's my real mother and father? Who are my real mothers and fathers and sisters? And He says mother and brothers. And it makes me feel like he is remezzing this story about, no, 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 who, who, who is my, Jesus, your family's out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But who's the people that really want to be about what God's being about? Like these people want, want me to be Messiah. They, and there's all kinds of indications with Jesus's larger family that they were trying to get him to be the kind of person they want him to be. And yet Jesus is about the agenda of the kingdom. Who is it that really wants to, are you just in this because of what I can give you? Are you just in this because of how I can, the signs I can, I can provide, the ways that I can heal, the, the king that you want me to be, or are you in this because of what God is doing in the kingdom? And I think that that's why he's remezzing this story, in my opinion, when his family comes looking for him. Who's really in on the project of God? It's really not him like being mean to his family or kicking them out the door. It's Jesus making a teaching moment about, I realize my family is outside, 
My biggest concern is the mission of God and what's happening and who wants to be in on that. Like, that's just a powerful teaching moment in my mind. It's good stuff. All right, I think that does it for uh, for another episode on the Midrush. I think that's it. That's good. Until next time. Plenty, plenty of stuff to uh, consider <laughs> as you go in the next week. So if you want to get a hold of Marty, you can find him on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about uh, the show at BaymontDiscipleship.com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.